Welcome back, everyone. <laughs> oh, wow. that was awful. <laughs> there are literally three other people here, and well, not just here, not on your level. One other person here. Right. Okay. Anyways, so uh, Mary Kate, can you please show me the pictures that you were showing again of Father Kevin's worst day? Of course, I can. If my phone. So Mary Kate and I actually went to the same college before I went off to seminary uh, when I was at SVSU, and we had a Catholic group on campus where we would have sometimes daily mass and other fellowship opportunities. And one day I was with that group, and we wanted to play a game of dodgeball. It was guys versus girls, three guys four ladies. One of the guys on our team was on the school's baseball team. So I was like, there's no way the girls are going to beat us. And so I put 20 bucks on the game. I was like, this is how confident I feel. I will put forward 20 bucks. And if we lose, it's all yours. And Mary Kate just showed the picture of reminding me the outcome of that unfortunate day. I am collapsed on the ground just in utter defeat and confusion as to how we could have possibly lost, but we did indeed lose. That's fantastic. That's a fantastic picture yeah. right there. Not everyone can win, Father. I suppose. And But the thing is, is like they actually took the money. Like they didn't just laugh and say, no, it's fine. Like they took the 20 and ran. Like I still have yet to see any return on that, but I guess they won it fair and square. I'm pretty sure our friend Ola, um, like she ripped her jeans while we were playing that. So she was like, I'm going to use this $20 to get myself a new pair of oh, jeans. There you have it. Sad part about it is, is 20 bucks now to buy a pair of jeans is like, right. Hey, you'd be, you'll be lucky to buy a pair of jeans in 20 bucks. <laughs> Those pictures were from 10 years ago. Oh, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Well, uh, father, we're glad that you still like sports, even though, you know, you, Taking Lost, a lot of inner healing, but I'm at a much more at peace I with figured. myself now. So thanks for the concern. I yep. figured. That's good. Well, uh, this week we have a, a special guest with us. So obviously you guys can see him, but uh, now our listeners can't. We have Deacon Matthew Jembrowski with us, uh, who is, I was expecting like Ooh. some cheers or something on. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so Deacon Matthew Jabrowski with us, who will be ordained to the order of priesthood here in like 40 days, 39 days? May 12th. Right. So we're coming up. He's, you're not excited, are you? Oh, I'm pretty excited. <laughs> no, he's, he's really excited. So uh, we're going to give him a little bit of time here to just introduce himself, um, kind of how he got to this point, you know, is where he's from, things like that. And then we'll kind of jump into uh, walking through the ordination rite because uh, a lot of people have probably never experienced the ordination of a priest uh, or uh, any kind of ordination. And so just a chance to walk through the rite, what is actually happening? And then um, here's some of Matthew's thoughts on like, what is he feeling? What is he looking forward to in the priesthood? Um, things like that. So, yeah, we're happy to have you, Matthew. It's good to be here. I've told this story before, but I just love repeating it because it gives you some idea of my life. So in seminary, we're often asked to give our vocation story to either people at a parish or people that come to visit the seminary. And that could be very long for some guys or pretty simple for others. And it's just, you know, how did you come to discover that this was God's calling for you in your life? And I remember my first day of college seminary, 
we went on a camping trip that was kind of a retreat, quote unquote, retreat for the new guys. And after we did some nonsense outside where we ran around, we had to get to know each other. And so they sat us down in groups of four and they said, all right, guys, now we're going to tell each other our vocation stories. And so, you know, these guys started saying their stories and, oh my gosh, they were so involved. They were going on for 25, 30 minutes about all these, some guys had these visions of Jesus on a beach. I remember that one. And as they're talking, I'm just thinking to myself, vocation story. We just got here. <laughs> what? There is no vocation story. Like I just, I asked for an application and then I signed up and now I'm here. Like there's no, there's no story. So I felt very dumb. My, my story was about two minutes long and they all, they all tried to console me like, Oh man, that's, that's cool too. Like, yeah, God's working so well in your life. And yeah. So that was the beginning of my seminary formation, but I, I'm from Saginaw, Michigan, uh, Deacon Matt Jombrowski. I entered the college seminary straight after high school. So I went to the local Catholic high school, Nouvelle Catholic Central. And uh, from there, I decided to go on to college seminary at St. John Vianney in St. Paul, Minnesota. And then from there, I went on to Mundelein Seminary, where I'm finishing up my final year of theology in the Archdiocese of Chicago. Um, as far as a vocation story, which at that point I didn't really have, the more I reflect on it and look back on it, when I was in high school, really at the very beginning of high school, there was a desire, two desires, one for greatness. I, I guess I was a deep thinker as a kid, and I thought very seriously, I only get one shot at life, man. What am I going to do with it? I want to do the greatest thing possible. I want to live you know, unselfishly. I want to live for others. I want to do the best thing I could possibly do with my life. And the second desire was one for truth. And again, being kind of a deep thinking kid, I want to know what really mattered in life. What was true? And the more I studied my faith, which I was more or less into, we came from a very Catholic family, you know, mass every Sunday, Catholic school. But the more I studied it, the more I was like, wow, there's real stuff here. Sometimes I would go to mass and, you know, it was eight of us kids. I've come from a family of eight and mostly old people at my home parish. And I would sit there and I'd be like, man, this is hokey. <laughs> when I was at mass, like, oh, gosh, this just seemed like we're all getting together on Sunday. And then we leave and we go about our lives. But the more I looked into the faith and studied it, talked to priests I knew, got to know the church more and more, the more I saw the beauty of it, the more I saw the truth of the Catholic faith. And it really just drew me in. Those two desires came together, the desire for greatness and the desire for truth. And my heart was drawn to priesthood. And at that time, I couldn't explain to you why. I couldn't explain to you what priesthood was or anything about that. I didn't really have a prayer life even. But I held on to that all throughout high school. And it was a cause for great embarrassment for me. <laughs> I knew in my mind, okay, I wanna do this. I wanna go, I think I have to go to the seminary. But man, I don't want to tell anybody because then I'm going to be labeled as that guy. So I would just lie to people. When they would ask me what I wanted to do, I would just say something with science. That was my go-to line was, uh, what do you want to do in college? Ah, you know, something with science. Anyway, so I finally pucked up the courage to get the application for seminary. I made my way into St. John Vianney. And uh, I don't know how, how long you want this vocation story to be to go on you for. Mean, I mean, I'll go on a little bit longer. Yeah, that's 
it's fine. Uh, I really, when I was there, this is for anybody who's discerning who may listen to this, I felt that I did not belong there at all. <laughs> I really felt that, man, all these guys were holier than me. They knew what was going on. They had vocation stories. And I was just this punk from mid-Michigan, a town nobody ever heard of. And uh, it really weighed on me because I remember calling my mom. This sounds dumb. I remember calling my mom like, Mom, all these guys have these religious t-shirts here. They have like these Jesus t-shirts, these youth group t-shirts. I don't have anything. She's like, okay, I'll help you out. She sent me a hoodie, like a sweatshirt. All it said on it was St. Michael. There was no context. There was nothing. It just this, I guess that was my religious clothing. So I wore that around to kind of fit in. But I just felt that, yeah, I just, they were all had something that I didn't have. And, uh, but the more I stayed faithful to prayer, I grew in my prayer life, the daily holy hour, the daily routine of mass, the breviary at seminary, growing in formation. And the more I felt, yeah, my heart is being drawn in this direction. A lot of stops and starts, a lot of doubts, a lot of back and forth. Maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I should go do something else. But whenever I would go to prayer, at the pivotal moments of my life, I feel that, you know, still silent voice really drawing me on. And I've stayed true to that voice, that, you know, pull from the Lord throughout all these years in seminary. And I'm really glad I have. I'm excited to be ordained finally, you know, a priest, May 12th. Everyone come out, Cathedral, 2.30 p.m. Be there. I'll be there. Uh, I yeah. hope so. And, uh, <laughs> I am just uh, very pumped to be a priest for the Diocese of Saginaw, uh, my home. I love the people here. I love all the priests. And while we may be different in many ways, I have a quite the eclectic group of Diocese of Saginaw priests. Love we all come together as really one family. So that's that's me in a nutshell. Well, thank you for that. Did any of you have uh, thoughts or questions? Go ahead, Father. I did want to um, kind of echo a little bit of Matthew's sentiment with college seminary. I often tell the story that the first day that I arrived at that same college seminary, we went to the same one. Um, our rector sat all of us guys down. I think there were 30 of us. And he goes, um, statistics show only a third of you guys will end up getting ordained. And I was sitting right in the middle. And I remember distinctly looking to the guys on my left, looking to the guys on my right and going, well, might as well pack my bags now <laughs> because uh, I had never <laughs> altar served. And I was like just in the last couple of years learning a lot of things about the faith. And I'm like, these guys are so much holier and smarter than me. There's no way I'm going to end up being a priest out of all these guys. And so it's just this, I often, when I tell this story to the kids, I often tell them like, when you compare you despair, don't compare yourself to other people. Like keep your eyes on Jesus and what he's calling you to. That's what matters in the end. So I just thought that was funny. Mary Kate. I thought it was really funny when Deacon was talking about these holy t-shirts because I remember when Jason and I first started dating, that's like all he wore. There's one that's like, man of God, or be the moon, reflect the sun, and like all of these different, like John 316. And I'm like, doesn't he own anything else? <laughs> well, didn't Jason go to St. John Vianney too? He did. He did. Was, he and I overlapped one year. So an overlap of one year. Wow. Look at that. And now Jason has three kids, three and under. Right? Yeah. Did I get that right? Three yeah. and under? Mm-hmm. Look at me. All right. Great. Well, thanks for sharing your story. You. And uh, so now we kind of transition into walking through what does the right look like? Do you want to look at this too? Sure. Okay. So um, we'll transition to kind of walking through the right. So Matthew will 
kind of take us through the right and everything and um, kind of the importance behind it. I'm sure, Father, like Kevin, if you have other thoughts that you want to interject to as we're walking through, because obviously this happens to you guys. It doesn't happen to <laughs> Mary-Kate and I. And so um, just to share your experiences as well. Uh, I wanted to read with the ordination of priests in the introduction uh, of the rite. It talks about the importance of the ordination. And the very first paragraph, it reads, By sacred ordination, a sacrament is conferred on priests through which, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, they are signed with a special character and are so configured to Christ, the priest, that they have the power to act in the person of Christ, the head. And so I think that just, it's a good summary of what happens, um, that they are sealed with the Holy Spirit to be um, configured to Christ as the priest um, in the person of Christ as the head. So as we walk through the right, kind of keeping that in mind. So, and I'm sure you've already kind of oh, I've looked over this <laughs> probably many times. Uh, yeah, I try to keep my mind on the present. <laughs> So the mass of ordination um, is one of the, ordination clearly one of the seven sacraments, and I appreciated that first paragraph that you read that you know the the man is so configured to Christ the priest that he is able to act um, as his head, and it's a good reminder that you know a lot of us may know priests that when we look at them we may not always see the image of Christ reflected in them, but we can trust in the sacrament just like baptism. Ordination confers on a man, you know, an indelible mark. And so that no matter his own personal flaws or failings, Christ is made present in that man whenever he presides at mass, whenever he presides at the sacraments. So that's a good shot in the arm for me that, you know, I have all my own weaknesses and sins and issues, but that through it all, through this ordination, Christ will be acting through me whenever I uh, act in his person. So in the ordination mass, it's pretty normal up until we get to the gospel. So uh, it's a big uh, big to-do at the cathedral. Almost all of the priests of the diocese will be there, all of the permanent deacons, almost all of the directors of parish life. In the rubrics for the rite of ordination, it's asked that as many people as possible in the diocese take part in the ordination of priests. It's a big moment in the life of the church that, uh, once again, the mandate of the apostles to go forward, uh, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, that's made concrete in the rite of ordination. And so that another man has been commissioned to go out into the world and act in the person of Christ. The same is true when there are the perpetual vows of sisters. The same rubric is given that um, as many people as possible take part in the rite. And guys, please feel free to you know interject whenever you'd like. So at the time of the ordination, the gospel is read and everyone sits down and the candidate is called forward. So in the case of the diaconate, it's just a, a man. But in the case of the priesthood, it has to be a, an ordained deacon. So the candidate is called forward by one of the assisting deacons to the bishop. Let Matt Jombrowski, who is to be ordained a priest, come forward. And the candidate answers present. The candidate goes to the bishop to whom he makes a sign of reverence. At this point, the candidate is, um, there's a scrutiny of sorts. That is to check that, has this person met the requisites to be a priest? Are they worthy to accept this office? And we know that nobody is worthy to accept the priesthood. Nobody is worthy of that gift. 
But have they has the Church of Saginaw done their due diligence due diligence to ensure that this man will uh, has the skills, has the competence to be a priest, has the holiness? So the vicar general will ask the bishop, Most Reverend Father, Holy Mother Church asks you to ordain Matthew, our brother, to the responsibility of the priesthood. To which the bishop responds, Do you know him to be worthy? After inquiry among the Christian people and upon the recommendation of those responsible, those in the seminary who have been in charge of his formation, I testify that he has been found worthy. The bishop replies, relying on the help of our Lord God and our Savior Jesus Christ, we choose Matthew, our brother for the order of the priesthood. All present say, thanks be to God. And at this moment, um, usually in the United States, the entire cathedral is supposed to erupt in applause. So, which is pretty rare to have the rubrics calling for applause in the liturgy. That almost never happens. It's really only at the ordination of a man to uh, the diaconate priesthood or uh, to the episcopacy. I think I'm right on that. If you guys know another time where it calls for it. But it's supposed to be the people of the diocese, the lay faithful, giving their assent, that they assent as well, that this man be ordained a priest. So it's kind of cool to realize that the lay faithful of the diocese have a role. They have a role to not only support the priests, but to ensure that they help form good priests for their diocese. It, it reminds me of, uh, you know, in baptism, we're baptized into the offices of Christ as priest, prophet, and king. And this is us responding in that manner is us part, like living out our baptismal call in that support of, yes, we as a common priest that are supporting you to be elevated to the ministerial priest, right? I, I could say too, um, just as I reflect back on undergoing this ordination, right? One of the things that, struck me from this particular uh, time of prayer is um, those words, we choose this man, um, which takes me back to John chapter 15, when Jesus says, it was not you who chose me, but I who chose you. And uh, that was just, that was something that praying before being ordained a priest was very freeing for me to realize that it was not fundamentally my choice that I'm getting ordained. It, it, it does call for my response of a choice, but it was first and foremost um, God choosing me. And in that moment, I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm being accepted into the presbyterate, accepted into the diocese, because I get to hear the words, we choose this man, and then I'm going to lay down my life. So it's it's just like in the exchange of vows in a marriage. It's like the the woman gets to hear first, I have been chosen, and now I'm going to be able to give myself uh, to this man who has chosen me. Um, and say, well, I choose you as well. So it's just beautiful that we men are chosen before we ourselves uh, lay down our lives and respond with our yes. I appreciate the role that the assembly has in the ordination, right? Because if you look at the other rites of the church, it's not isolated to that moment. If you go to the RCIA rites, every time there is a scrutiny, every time there is a welcoming of the uh, elect or of those who are seeking to enter into the church, the assembly is always asked as one, are you willing to assist this person in their desire to enter the church? Are you willing to assist them as they seek to be saints in, in the Catholic church? To which everyone responds, I am, I do. And so it continues throughout the man's life, through baptism, through confirmation, where he had a sponsor, through his first communion, where he was prepared by his parish, up through his time in the seminary, up until he's ordained, that the assembly from which he came, he's still a member of that assembly. 
and they have an active role in preparing them for uh, the ministry. So after the elect has been called forward, everyone applauds, happy times, the bishop will go into his homily. Now the Roman pontifical, what's it called? Roman pontifical, the book from which the ordination rite is taken, has a set homily that the bishop may give if he desires. Usually a bishop will blend the set homily given with his own words. But uh, there's one paragraph I'd like to read from the set homily. It's where after the bishop has addressed the assembly on what's happening, he addresses the one man who will be ordained a priest. The bishop says, Now, dear son, you are to be raised to the order of the priesthood. For your part, you will exercise the sacred duty of teaching in the name of Christ the teacher. Impart to everyone the word of God, which you have received with joy. Meditating on the law of the Lord, see that you believe what you read, that you teach what you believe, and that you practice what you teach. You are to be raised to the order of the priesthood. It's a good reminder that we do live in a hierarchical church uh, or uh, administered by Christ, that you know there's the diaconate and then you are raised to the order of priesthood in which you share with the priesthood of the bishop. You're never on your own. There are no lone wolf priests, but you are in an order of servants for the good of the assembly from which you have been raised. And that can be pretty unpopular in today's culture to have some sort of hierarchy where some people are above others, but it's not supposed to be a, I'll use fancy words because I'm educated, ontological difference. You know, I'm not any better than as a person than Emma is, Emma, a lay faithful, but I'm supposed to be more of a servant towards Emma because of where I have been raised in this hierarchy. The higher up you go, most people think it's a pyramid. So at the bottom, you have the lay faithful, the most people, and then it gets up to the top. There's the Pope at the top of the pyramid. Really in the church, we're supposed to be thinking about it the other way around. It's an inverted pyramid with the Pope at the very bottom, and then everyone else he's holding up through his service. So those who are ordained, their role is, yes, to govern, to teach, to guide, but it's to serve, to serve through acting in the person of Christ through the mass, through the sacraments, through his teaching, through his walking with people on their journeys. There's a great part from the mass for various needs in the Eucharistic prayer where we uh, speak to the Lord, you are God who always walk with us on the journey of life. And that can be really cheesy. And to me, it strikes me as cheesy sometimes, but you know, it's in the Eucharistic prayer, but it strikes me, God who always walks with us on the journey of life. And to me, it's a great image of the priest, a great image of the parish priest as he relates to his people. Life is difficult. We all know this. Everyone's got struggles. Everyone's got problems. Everyone's got issues. And it's hard to conquer those and to really sometimes see the joy of life. And the priest is there to walk with people on that journey as they move towards the Lord. And sometimes they turn around and walk back. Sometimes they trip and fall down. You're there to help them and to walk with them as they move forward. (laughs) If you have any comments, again. I I, I liked what it said in that, um, in the the pre-prepared homily, it says, where does it say where the bishop says now dear son like that kind of i mean from that and so you exercise the the sacred duty of teaching or you will be raised to the order of priesthood like that first sentence gave me goosebumps because uh it's the beautiful image of fatherhood right that that uh that the bishop is our father i mean yes he's all of the lay faithful in the diocese of saginaw bishop Gruce is our spiritual father 
but even more so like to you as a priest, you know, he's also, you look to him as that spiritual father too, as he calls you that now, now dear son. So uh, that, that just the beautiful imagery there of a father looking out for his son as well was just really, really beautiful. And I would have to say, I also really like the imagery of the priest walking with the lay faithful throughout their lives, because honestly, it's so true. I mean, Jason and I have so many young priest friends, especially because he was in seminary. Um, And even just thinking back on our wedding, like we had, I think, four priests at the time and then three seminarians who were altar serving and and even since that time it's been almost four years since we got married and we've stayed close to all of those young young men um and they've gone through some of the greatest times with us with baptisms and some of the hard harder times where you know it's like okay where's where what are we going to do with Jason and his career and whatnot and so I love that imagery of of the priest walking with the lay faithful because if if the lay people were to allow themselves to be loved by their priests they would find great friendships. Um, and so I really, I love that imagery of, of the priest walking with the people. That's awesome. So the bishop has finished his homily and the ordination rite will really now get into full swing with first the promises of the elect. So at my diaconate ordination, I made certain promises to the bishop to fulfill the office of the deacon, to pray always the liturgy of the hours and to remain celibate as well as, did I say obedience? All right. I also prayed for obedience or promised obedience. I prayed for it too. So the bishop will go to his chair and the elect, the candidate will come before him and the bishop will address him. Dear son, before you enter the order of the priesthood, you must declare before the people your intention to undertake this office. And then he goes into the several promises. And I want to read each one just so you know, what does the priest promise when he is ordained? First, do you resolve with the help of the Holy Spirit to discharge without fail the office of priesthood in the presbyteral rank as a worthy fellow worker with the order of bishops in caring for the Lord's flock? And the elect answers, I do. So what does that mean? Basically, are you going to do what a priest should do? Are you going to act in the person of Christ without fail? When you are called upon by your faithful, will you go? When the Sunday uh, liturgy comes around, will you be prepared and celebrate it worthily? When the confession time comes or somebody asks to be reconciled with the Lord, will you give them the time to have that encounter with the Lord? Will you care for the Lord's flock with the order of bishops? He goes on. Do you resolve to exercise the ministry of the word worthily and wisely, preaching the gospel and teaching the Catholic faith? The church consistently puts a high emphasis on preaching. And sadly, Catholics are not known for their great preaching. Now, if you go to uh, most Protestant churches, the homily is the centerpiece of the entire uh, service. It could be an hour or more. And they may not have a liturgy of the Eucharist or anything of that kind, but there is intense preparation put in by most uh, Protestant ministers into their homilies. And so it's uh, an invitation for us and a challenge that we should be putting much more effort into preaching the word of God with skill, 
but also with holiness. That when a priest or a deacon is preaching the gospel at Mass, it's not just a nice talk or it's an intellectual discussion. It's coming from a man who is intimately familiar with the words that he's preaching to others. You know, a priest that doesn't pray, a priest that doesn't pray with the scriptures, was a useless priest to his people because he can say good things, he can make people feel good, but can he speak to their hearts? Can he speak to the deepest part of them and communicate what God is desiring to say to them? Only if he prays, only if he is deeply familiar with what he's saying. I think it's uh, Sister Miriam James Hydland says this often before her talks, and I, I really love it. Uh, she says, you know, you, you may hear, some, she'll say something along the lines of, you may hear many good things tonight, but the most important thing isn't what I'm going to say to you. It's what the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. Um, that sense of depth, right? And being in tune with the Spirit. The bishop goes on to the third promise. Do you resolve to implore with us God's mercy upon the people entrusted to your care by observing the command to pray without ceasing? I do. A priest is primarily what? One who offers sacrifice. That is really the primary definition of a priest. But not just offering sacrifice for the sake of it, but offering it for his people constantly imploring God through the sacrifice of laying down his life, through his promise of celibacy, through his praying of the liturgy of the hours and his personal prayer, constantly imploring God's mercy on the people entrusted to his care. That everyone who goes to a Catholic parish, everyone who goes to Sunday Mass should know without question that their priest is praying for them. The priest keeps them in mind throughout the week, throughout the day, that the five times a day he's turning to the bravery, his parishioners are in his mind and everyone who he is responsible for. Not only for them, not only for his diocese, but really for the whole world, for those who believe and for those who don't. Do you resolve to implore with us God's mercy upon the people entrusted to your care? Promise number four. Do you resolve to be united more closely every day to Christ the high priest, who offered himself for us to the Father as a pure sacrifice? and with him to consecrate yourself to God for the salvation of all. Priesthood, same with religious life, same with marriage, is not a job. It's not something we can take off and put on at will. This promise is convicting the priest of his need for ongoing formation to continue to grow in holiness. Do you resolve to be united more closely every day to Christ the high priest? Will you strive for holiness every day? Even when you fall, will you get back up stronger the next time, relying on his mercy, consecrating yourself to God for the salvation of all. So striving for that personal holiness. And I think the ordination rite knows that that is the most important promise of all, to be a saint. Because at the end of that promise, the elect says, I do with the help of God. It kind of closes out the uh, set of promises that he'll make apart from obedience. So I do with the help of God. I will continually conform myself more and more to Christ the priest. Yeah, that's um, that last promise is what I have on the back of my ordination card because when I read that and I prayed with it and I recognized that that's the only promise we make where we have that addition, I do with the help of God. Um, there's just something about that image that just reminds me like this is what it's all about. This is the goal of my life, everything, it's all directed towards this end, this goal. And so, you know, just like a married couple will sometimes go through those seasons of, of difficulty and you can kind of lose sight of what is this all about. And then you need to be reminded the overarching goal is, you know, leading my spouse to heaven. And 
um, it doesn't feel all like romantic and amazing in this moment, but I got to keep that goal in mind. And the same with the priesthood. I can get bogged down with paperwork and certain administrative responsibilities where it's like, what does this have to do with the initial zeal and fervor I had when I wanted to become a priest? But this promise brings me back to what's the overarching goal of my life. The overarching goal is to become a saint, which is everybody's call, but then in a particular way as a priest, um, being united more and more closely each day to Christ the high priest uh, who offered himself for us to the Father as a pure sacrifice and with him to consecrate myself to God for the salvation of all. That's what it's all about. That's what kind of keeps me going in the right direction. So that is the set of promises that a man makes when he is to be ordained a priest. Now at his diaconate ordination uh, for a transitional deacon, he has already promised the uh, celibacy to live in the celibate state perpetually. And he has also already promised obedience to his ordinary. However, in the ordination of the priesthood, it stipulates that once again, the priest, soon to be priest, goes to the bishop and again makes the promise of obedience. Do you promise respect and obedience to me and my successors? You respond, I do. And this is said, kneeling before the bishop with your hands joined and placed between those of the bishop. So it's a really, it's an intimate moment with the bishop where he looks you in the eyes and says, will you obey me? in all things. Will you respect me and my office and you and everyone who comes after me, whatever that's going to look like. And you don't know who's going to come after him. You don't know how he's going to turn out in, you know, a few years from them. And you say, yes, I do. The commitment that I am not on my own in this life. I am not on my own in this vocation. I am part of that hierarchy. I am part of that group of servants that are all striving to give their lives away for others. Similarly to a married couple, when you say I do at the altar, you don't know what's going to happen in 5, 10, 15, 50 years, but you promise through it all, I will obey, I will respect um, your authority. And the bishop always concludes, may God who has begun the good work in you bring it to fulfillment. This is always, you know, the iconic saying, every time that a man has been moving through the seminary and he receives candidacy for orders, the ministry of lector, of acolyte, the diaconate ordination, the bishop always concludes by saying this, may God who has begun the good work in you bring it to fulfillment. So it's kind of bringing everything to a close. He has affirmed the candidate uh, is worthy to be a priest. The candidate has made their promise. Next is really the most probably dramatic part of the whole ordination rite, which is the litany of saints. So the bishop, uh, everyone stands and the bishop Asks the people, my dear people, let us pray that God, the all-powerful Father, will pour out abundantly the gifts of heaven on this, his servant, whom he has chosen for the office of priest. The deacon will get up from the bishop's spot. He'll go down to the front of the altar and will lay down on the floor prostrate before the altar while the long litany of saints is chanted. And this is really an emotional part uh, for the guy laying down. Of course, at this moment, we are asking all of the saints, all of the angels in heaven, to intercede that this man will be holy, that this man will be a good priest. So every priest, whether they have committed terrible crimes, whether they've been saints, they've all gone through this process where we've all prayed for them. And to know that this man, you know, despite his failings, despite his weaknesses, has the backing, I don't want to say the backing of the Lord, but again, that, that character, that nature of the priesthood, that regardless of his failings, 
he acts in the person of Christ the priest and has all of the, you know, support all the prayers of the saints and of the assembly. I, uh, I, I read a book that I, I think you've read as well, Deacon Matt, um, Teaching and Learning the Love of God by Cardinal Ratzinger. And he has a lot of reflections mm-hmm. on um, the ordination rites and various aspects of for the diaconate, the priesthood, and even um, for those who are ordained bishops. And I wanted to read a quote where he describes from his own experience having been ordained and then um, attending and even administering ordination for um, quite a few decades. This is a reflection that he wrote about that moment that I think was really powerful when I read it. So in describing that being prostrate, he says, in a, it's a moment in which you profoundly experience your own helplessness, prostrate, not seeing and not touching the other, the disproportion between one's own resources and the immensity of the task, one's own inability and the uncertainty of a far-reaching future. In all the wretchedness of an experience of inadequacy, we nevertheless heard the prayer of the whole cathedral, the invocation of all the saints. It told us ever more insistently, you are not alone. You are walking in a great fellowship that will not abandon you. It is the great communion of the saints of all centuries. But we not only sense the fellowship of a past church, but we're introduced into the communion of the church of today, which supports and offers companionship on the journey and does not abandon you. It introduced you into the communion of the church of tomorrow, for the ship of the church is built to last forever. So you have the church past, present, and future all being uh, called to mind there in that moment. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, tradition in the seminary. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just Mondelein, but I think it's everywhere that guys will say, you know, when you get to the litany of the saints, when you're being ordained, it's very, it's a good practice to have in your mind one gift that you want to ask from the Lord. You know, one thing that you're going to really beg for as you're laying down prostrate on the floor um, during the litany of the saints. I have not decided yet. I still have to pray what I'm going to ask for, uh, for my priesthood ordination. But for my diaconate, I asked for humility, that I would, you know, whatever my own ego will get in the way, I can lay down my life when I need to, when I, for the good of the people I will serve. Now you can ask people who I spend time with every day, whether that prayer was answered or not. Just don't ask them when I'm around. <laughs> But uh, it's really, I strive, you know, I'm laying here on the floor. I'm laying down my life. Help me to do that in reality. Help me to have the humility to do so. After the litany of the saints, the man will rise and the whole rite of ordination centers around the prayer of ordination that the bishop will then pray. The man will go to the bishop who will lay hands on the man in silence and then will extend his hands and pray the prayer of ordination, which is a lengthy prayer recounting the priesthood throughout salvation history. But the matter of the prayer, the words that he has to get right for this man to be ordained a priest, I'll read that one paragraph. This is towards the end of the long prayer. The bishop prays, Grant, we pray, Almighty Father, to this your servant the dignity of the priesthood. Renew deep within him the spirit of holiness, May he henceforth possess this office, which comes from you, O God, and is next in rank to the office of bishop. And by the example of his manner of life, may he instill right conduct. So at that moment, when the the bishop has prayed those prayers, the man becomes a priest. He has laid his hands on the man, 
uh, in silence, which is an ancient gesture stemming from the Acts of the Apostles. And at that moment, he is ordained a priest. Once that prayer is prayed, um, he's kind of invested with the symbols of his office. He's a priest, but it has to be handed over to him. As Father Kevin said, you know, it's, priesthood is not something I come and choose for myself. I get to know that when the bishop calls me, when I'm the elect and he's calling me forward to make those promises, I've been chosen for this. There was some aspect of my own choice, yes, but it was a response to a call. It wasn't something I pursued for my own reasons. And so in the same way, the symbols of the priest's office are handed over to him. So first, his hands are anointed with sacred chrism, that these hands will offer the sacrifice of the mass. They will stretch out over penitents to forgive them of their sins and confession. They will heal the sick through the anointing of the sick. And they will offer blessings to the faithful, uh, the faithful people of God. That those hands will help people. They will walk with people on that journey of life. You know, they will always be present uh, in service. The bread and wine, so the chalice and patent that hold the gifts for the Eucharistic sacrifice, are given to the newly ordained priest. And the prayer is said, is there a prayer here? Well, that's, that's for the chrism. Receive, here it is. Here is the prayer for handing over the chalice and patent. Receive the oblation of the holy people to be offered to God. Understand what you do. Imitate what you celebrate. And conform your life to the mystery of the Lord's cross. So again, he is to offer this sacrifice for the people of God. Whenever a priest um, says the words of consecration, this is my body, this is my blood. He says that in the person of Christ. So yes, it is Jesus's body. It's Jesus's blood. But he says that about himself too. This is my body. This is my blood. I am giving myself for the people entrusted to me. So it's it, again, for the priest who really acts in persona Christi through the sacrament of ordination. It's a very intimate moment. And then finally, the uh, chasuble and stole are invested upon the newly ordained priest. I think I forgot to say that after the bishop has laid his hands on the deacon, soon to be ordained priest, every other priest present in the cathedral also lays their hands on the man's head. So every priest of the Diocese of Saginaw who is present there and those who are visiting come around in a long line and they all lay their hands on the man's head, invoking the Holy Spirit, again, that he be a good and holy priest. And Father Kevin, you can speak to what that experience was like. It was during COVID, but, you know, you still experienced the right. Yeah, it was, I mean, while it's happening, you don't really see it happening because your head is down as all these hands are being laid on your head. So you don't you don't necessarily know which priest is which. Sometimes you can guess based on if it's a firm grip or it's like a soft grip or whatever. But I remember one in particular, um, it was actually Father Ray Muggenberg who uh, just passed away. Um, I remember there was like a pause and I said, oh, I thought, okay, are we done? And then I felt this cane being <laughs> dropped onto my shoulder. He was walking around with a cane, you know, and then he dropped it on his shoulder and then laid his hands on me and then took the cane off. So it was just this like beautiful experience of being welcomed into um, a brotherhood. Um, even in the, I think it's in the second Vatican council documents, they talk about a um, sacramental brotherhood that a man is ordained into. And this is just one of the 
profound um, symbols and gestures to show like you are part of this uh, very unique brotherhood now. And as I, as I mentioned earlier, and as you mentioned, uh, Deacon, with the variety of guys that you get in a presbyterate, um, all, all of those guys come forward and lay your hands on you and say, whether we see everything eye to eye or we have our different personalities, different gifts and weaknesses, like we're all united in this one sacrament. So it's, it's a beautiful moment. And the rite of ordination really wraps up with another symbol of that welcoming the man into the presbyterate. The newly ordained, he's received the chrism on his hands. He's received the chalice and the patent. He's received the chasuble and the stole. He goes to the bishop and the bishop gives him the fraternal kiss, which is really a hug. (laughs) So you go and give the bishop a hug and he says, peace be with you. You You've been welcomed into that order. And um, similarly, every priest present goes around and gives the newly ordained guy the, the fraternal kiss, the hug. <laughs> I always saw it, you know, when guys, this is just me, this is just Matt Jombrowski talking, you know, guys will, the newly ordained will stand there and the priest will come up to them and they'll put their hands on their shoulders and, you know, they'll nod their head to each other and then they'll move on. I'm going for a full on hug personally. I'm like, dude, we're family now. We're not getting rid of me. So uh, I hope that all these guys are ready because I'm coming in, coming in hot to these hugs. <laughs> Bro hug. They better, uh, especially those frail ones, they got to be prepared. <laughs> During that, uh, the, the Roman Pontifical, they suggest that this antiphon is uh, sung. The antiphon, you are my friends, says the Lord, if you do what I command you. And so entering to that brotherhood, you are friends of the Lord. You know, you are no longer slaves for slaves do not know what the master is doing. I call you friends because I have shown you everything I have learned, heard from my father. So that antiphon, that symbol of the fraternal kiss really wraps up the ordination, right? The newly ordained priest will take his place with the other concelebrants and he will concelebrate the remainder of the mass. Cool. Well, thank you. Father Kevin, did you have any thoughts? with that last yeah, part, the only thing with that last part, that was one of the moments where it um, f- it started to strike me that holy cow, something has changed because up until then, I don't really feel that different, and uh, it, it doesn't seem like anything's different. But it it was right at that moment when um, I think the deacon comes around, and when whenever there's incense at a mass, usually you know the bishop will incense the altar and the gifts. Um, and then the deacon will incense the bishop, and then he incenses the priest. So at that mass, when the deacon comes over to me and incenses me as a priest, that was like one of the moments where it clicked for me. Like, okay, wow, something has indeed changed. Whether I felt it or not, like, I'm a priest now. That was the moment where it clicked for me within the mass. Hmm. I'm still stuck on the bro hug. No, that'll be great. I, it's it's fine. Um, I'm really looking so, forward to actually seeing that in real time. <laughs> you did it at your diaconate ordination no, too, no, or did Or you didn't? I did with the deacons, the permanent. May, that's what it was. Okay, maybe that's what I remember. And I was like, I remember some sort of fraternal kiss happening. It, so it was with the other deacons. But, anyways, uh, what it like? What are you most looking forward to being a priest? I hate to give a basic answer, but, you know, saying the mass, offering the holy sacrifice of the mass, hearing confessions, anointing the sick, 
basically what Mary Kate was saying before, what the, uh, the Eucharistic prayer for various needs says to walk with people on the journey of life. You know, it's, it's such an honor to be able to do that. And I, I hope every priest getting ordained and everyone who is ordained reflects on that. What a privilege it is to be able to serve people in this way. You know, very few people have this opportunity, this gift given to them in their life to be welcomed into such intimate parts of people's lives. Parts that, frankly, I don't have any right to be there. I don't, I don't have anything to offer to you, but the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit who is working in my person uh, through the person of Christ that dwells in me through the sacrament of ordination. And it's such a gift. It's such, uh, such a great gift that I hope every priest is uh, properly grateful for. Cool. Well, I know, I mean, this is a personal, I've been grateful for your friendship, right? And so I'm, I'm excited and it's been beautiful to see how the Lord has used you um, even as a deacon too. So uh, I'm excited. I know all of us are excited to see, uh, what the Lord has in store for you as a, as a priest. Right. And I mean, I'm thankful for father Kevin's friendship too, um, as a, as a priest, I didn't know him while he was a deacon or seminarian, but, uh, he's always been father Kevin to me, but grateful for that. So know that as, as lay faithful, uh, I am grateful for both of your yeses. Um, and, and I'm excited just decam I'm very excited to see how the Lord will work. So, um, before we head into one choice, did either one of you have any final thing to say? Just looking forward to that bro hug, man. Bring it on. <laughs> I'll brace myself. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna be a it's gonna be a great party, great celebration. Uh-huh. So all right. Well, Deacon, thank you for being with us. Thanks for, for di- diving into the ordination, right? Um, know that we are all praying for you. Um, and so also uh, we're going to wrap up with um, our one joys. So you've listened to the podcast a few times, right? Yeah. Okay. So it's just sharing something that's brought us joy, um, how we've, or how we've seen the Lord work, right? Um, in the past week or month or Lent, or <laughs> it's been a while because we've been really busy. So, um, I really don't want to go first. And I say this all of the time. <laughs> Father Kevin's rolling his eyes. Okay, Mary Kate can go. All right. So I have two. Sorry. Um <laughs> so as Emma said, I think on the last episode when I was not here, I was not here because I was moving. Jason and I just got a new house. Um, we live like five minutes away from uh his job, so that saves us on gas, which is fantastic, um, because his commute before was about 40 minutes. So, um, yeah, so really excited for the, the new house. We've been moved in for about a week now. And, uh, my second one joy, which is really my second joy. It's Holy week. I love Holy week. I just love it so much. Um, in fact, uh, when Jason and I first started dating, I was like, Holy Week is my jam. So Jason actually proposed to me during Holy Week, the year that we got engaged. Um, And I eventually found this Myers-Briggs Saints. And it turned out that I was St. Nicholas. And the very first sentence of the description was, Holy Week is your jam, which I had literally said to Jason probably a year beforehand. 
And he and I just lost it laughing. So I am excited for Holy Week and all that it brings. You got to send us a link to that test. That sounds pretty sweet. Yeah, I'm going to have to. I'd be St. Jerome, the grumpy, angry, melancholic. (laughs) (laughs) Joking. All right, I can go second so that Father Kevin doesn't give me a hard time for waiting. Um, A couple weeks ago, I uh, visited my parents in uh, Northeast Ohio and my grandparents, and I was able to see my aunt and cousins uh, from Wisconsin. Well, the one lives in uh, Indiana now, but uh, so it was good. It was super quick um, and kind of a last minute uh, trip, but it was just nice to, to see everyone. Uh, and then I would say, I guess my second one joy also is that it's Holy Week. Just I love, love this this week. So um, being a liturgy enthusiast, I, uh, I, I just I really enjoy this time. So the liturgy, the hours this week are just it's really beautiful. So that's that's my those are my two joys. All right. Um, there's a lot on my mind, but I'll just kind of keep it simple. Today was the first day this year where I've enjoyed a cup of coffee out on my back porch. It's like 52 degrees right now, no wind. So I was just sitting out there with a cup of coffee, and it's just like everything is right with the world. So just keeping it simple this week. Well, you guys had one joys or two. I'm going to have seven. Oh. So I have, I will soon have seven nieces and nephews. My uh, sister Mary is due with her second child on Easter Monday. So they won't understand this because they're so young and they're not going to hear it, but I'll give them a shout out anyway to Bennett, Lucy, Sophie, Ivy, Caroline, Evelyn, and new baby who we don't know the name yet. So those are all my nieces and nephews. I love them a lot. They're all below uh, six years old. Today's Lucy's birthday. So happy birthday, Lucy. And uh, I feel like an old man because sometimes I get up in the morning at school and before I go to my holy hour, it's at 5.50 a.m. They moved it earlier, and it's distressing. But before I go there, I will look up pictures of my nieces and nephews on my phone. I'm like, they're so cute. I just oh, They bring me joy. So I'm looking forward to seeing all of them uh, over Easter. They're all going to be home. And I'm meeting my new niece or nephew next Monday. Aw, it's cute. Wow. Wonderful. Any other thoughts really quick before we jump off? Because sometimes we cut this and then I'm like, oh, I wish I would have said something. All right, great. Uh, Deacon, would you actually be willing to close us in prayer? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we praise you for the gift of Holy Week. Praise you for the honor and the privilege of being able to walk with your son as he approaches Calvary, to suffer with him, to be betrayed with him, to be able to lay all our sins down on the cross with him, to spend time in the tomb with him. And on Easter Sunday, that we are able to rise from the dead with him. We know that that is our final destiny that you call us to. We ask that you help us to remain faithful to your son, faithful to your Catholic church, that we may one day reach that destination. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 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 Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, Father Kevin, Mary Kate, Deacon, it's been fun. So until yeah. next time, know that we're praying for you and please pray for us. God bless. Yeah. See ya. You guys have the same ending. So all do the time. you. <laughs>